a Pulp MX Network production. Welcome to the Fly Racing Steve Mathis Show presented by Maxis Tires and Renthal on RacerXOnline.com. With your continued support of our sponsors, we have surpassed 1,500 podcasts delivered with over 15 million downloads. Click that Amazon banner on Pulp MX to help us out. Donate via Patreon if it suits you. As always, enrich your moto lifestyle by working with the sponsors who support us. The original Moto Podcast, featuring legends of the past, stars of today, season previews and race reviews, introspection, opinion, facts, and laughs. Here's your host, Steve Mathis. Welcome, everybody, to the Fly Racing Racer X podcast with Scott Burnworth and Brock Glover talking about Scott's uh, 11th annual vintage race uh, in Glen Helen and as well as a tribute to Mance, Nancy and Marty Smith, who we lost earlier this year. Great, uh, just a legend of the sport, Marty Smith was. And thank you for listening. Uh, we're going to talk about the old bikes and new bikes and racing Glen Helen and, and everything else with Burnworth and Glover. Thanks to Fly Racing. Of course, Zach Osborne winning the championship with Fly Racing. That's Fly Racing's first ever 450 title. So yay for those guys. Uh, Zach Osborne wearing the Evo gear, wearing the Kinetic mesh, wearing the Kinetic, wearing the Rockstar stuff, all of it during the course of the year. And uh, doing well with it, obviously. So whether it's uh, pants, jersey, gloves, boots, goggles, helmets, Fly Racing will have you covered. They've got great mountain bike stuff as well, personal watercraft uh, line, snowmobile stuff. It's, it's, it's October as we record this, so snowmobile stuff. The folks at Western Power Sports slash Fly Racing has got it all for you. I also want to thank the folks at Renthal. Uh, grab life by the bars when it comes to Renthal. The undisputed, global, the undisputed global leader in manufacturing design since 1969, Renthal has become notorious for relentless obsession to detail and quality, through their commitment to produce the finest products on the market today with a history full of innovations in engineering and legendary component reliability, Renthal is universally regarded as the most trusted brand in the pro paddock and the first choice to the world's premier athletes and race teams. Fat Bar 36 debuted in January this year. The regular Fat Bar, the Twin Wall Bar, the 7 8 Bar, Grips, Chain Sprockets, Renthal.com. You know the name. You know the quality of the product as well thanks to max's tires the st line developed by jeremy mcgrath i've got a set of my blue crew right now the alex ray and that bell rod character did a good job with uh uh the max's tires this summer as well as jeremy smith too i can't forget him mountain bike tires light truck tires uh, maxis.com for more information on that if you're in the market for a high-end tire please check out the the st line that Maxis released a little while ago and they're doing great things with that so maxis.com for more information on that so Thank you for listening. Thanks to Burnworth and Glover for taking the time to chat about this race and all the cool things behind it, as well as their relationships and their thoughts on Marty and Nancy Smith. So uh, without further ado, here's Scott Burnworth, followed by Brock Glover. And now, as promised, on the Fly Racing Racer X podcast to talk about the SoCal Vintage race that went on this past weekend, something that looked really cool from the photos that I saw, and including a, uh, a nice uh, tribute to Marty and Nancy Smith, who we lost earlier this year from his palatial office at Maxima Oils. It's Scott Burnworth. What's up, Burnworth? How are you? 
I'm doing great. How are you doing, Steve? Good. Thank you for doing this. Uh, this is something that uh, you've done for a couple of years, if not more, um, and you've you've it's been really neat. And then this year, with losing Marty and Nancy Smith, Marty just an icon in the sport. You you did a lot of tributes and a lot of things for that. Um, so this they probably made this year's event a little sp more special for you. Yeah, it was because we had a lot of people come, uh, especially for that. I mean, it's amazing how many people that uh, knew Marty and and just you know, Marty was such a nice guy, and, and Nancy also. Um, you, you know, they they were so so well known and and so well loved in the moto industry. It was the outpouring was crazy. Now you grew up; you're a little bit younger than Marty was, and but your your early factory days coincided with the end of his career at Suzuki. And I imagine you're from El Cajon, of course. Marty was the original San Diego uh, poster child for motocross, so he was the guy. I mean, Glover's told me this stuff too. I mean, he was just a hero to to all you guys. He was. I mean, I, obviously, I was a little bit younger, and uh, mm -hmm. his, his last year racing. Uh, pro was 81 which was my first race year uh first year racing pro um my first my first factory ride actually but um so he retired that year and uh you know i was younger as i said and i didn't see him a lot when i was younger like because i practiced you know by my house out, mm -hmm. in, the, out in the hills and those guys you know did their own thing uh you know, kind of on the big bikes, and he was from more San Diego area, mm -hmm. uh, so they had their practice shock. So I didn't run into him a lot then. Uh, it was more later in my career um, when I got older. Um, and then actually, after you know, we were both retired last in the last ten years or so. You know, um, I'd see him teaching at the local tracks. Mm -hmm. You know, teaching his schools and and whatnot at, at at various events around you know el cajon or san diego or wherever uh, you know yeah. super cross. um so yeah marty was just a nice guy and, and also nancy she was just great you know yeah um, no really really sad deal i i actually lived with marty down in san diego when i was a kid in the early 90s for a couple of months went to palm avenue with him we brought him up to canada uh to do some motocross schools so we got to know him that way and when I lived with him, Nancy couldn't have been any cooler and any nicer. And even back then, he loved the sand rails. Uh, he loved the dune buggies. This was like late 80s. Yeah. He had his surf shop down there, Smitty's uh, surf, surf shop going oh, on. Oh, yeah. That, that was in El Cajon. Oh, was it El Cajon? Was it? Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, and, uh, yeah, he's just a hell of a guy. And I saw him here and there at the races. He came back to help a team out a few years ago. I forget what it was. Yeah. And, and just, just always a nice guy. He always asked me how my parents were. You know what I mean? Like he just remembered yeah. them from back in the day and just, exactly. yeah, really, really nice guy. So, yeah. um, Brock Lever came out, Sean Kalos came out, Todd DeHoop came out. You had some, you had some stars come out for this thing. Yeah, it was pretty crazy. It was, it was really cool. I mean, I was just like blown away how all these guys, especially, you know, they wanted to come out for Marty. Mm -hmm. Um, and then a lot of them raced, which was pretty cool. I mean, Brock still as fast as ever. You know, Warren Reed, you know, uh, Todd DeHoop is just, you know. DeHoop rips, dude. Yeah. <laughs> I, I had to race against him, which was not good. You know, I I stayed pretty close, but mm. I couldn't beat him. Um, I got to have to step up my game for next year. <laughs> <laughs> uh, RJ was there, right? He didn't ride, but RJ, I think, was there. Yeah. So. Rip was there. Uh, Langston, uh, he rode he rode a Mako. Um, I think it broke. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, 
Yeah, a lot of the guys rode, which is pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, have you? I, I don't. Have you? Had you seen Kalos for a while? I was surprised that he came out. That's awesome, though. I don't know. Uh, I, I probably see him once or twice a year. You know, at yeah. races, and he always comes to this race. Uh, he likes riding the hundreds. Yeah. And, um, also, Nicole Kurt Nicole was there. He's always he he always likes to come out. Road rides like five class. Dude, he rips too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, I remember I've told the story about the hoop a few times. Like so. He quit in the mid '90s or something, you know, as a vet guy riding for Honda Troy, and like I was working for Kelly Smith in like '01, and Kelly was a top ten guy, 125 class, and we went out to some track in Michigan, and the hoopster worked them. The hoopster worked them. I'm like, I'm like, dude, who, the hoop's been retired for like ten years, Kelly. Like, what, what are you doing? But yeah. dude, he's still really good. So. No, he rides really good. I I knew he was going to be pretty fast, and the, and the craziest thing is, um, so. The guy that works on my bike, Gary Faxon, mm-hmm. uh, Faxon Racing, uh, he has an almost identical bike to mine, which is the 87 yep. RM125. So they're almost identical. So I knew Todd was going to be fast, but I didn't know how fast. He was gonna, He was riding the other one then? He was riding the yeah, other one. Yeah, he was riding yeah. the other one. So they're almost identical. So um, it was pretty cool. Uh, so he was my teammate for the day. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, yeah. So um, I got no. a couple of starts. That was about it. Yeah. Well, there's one thing, Burnworth, that you could probably do in your sleep is pull a start for sure. Um, yeah. Yeah. Hey, uh, what was it? So, yeah, you've you've got a really trick 87 RM125 that you've done up. And I don't know why you chose that bike. They're, they were the slowest bike around in 87, but it does look yeah. really cool. Um, <laughs> but what else? Did, what other bikes were there that you thought were, were pretty neat? Oh God, it, it, it's really hard to say. There's, there's, you know, 80 Hondas. There's, there's, there were all the Elsinores. There were some cherry ones. I mm-hmm. mean, a lot of them you wouldn't want, wouldn't want to race maybe. Um, but I mean, just, just, you know, Cowies, my buddy has a cool 86 Cowie 125. Yeah. Just, uh, tons of Mako CZs. I mean, a little of everything, you know, it's just kind of cool. That's, that's why I like doing the vintage races because i love the old bikes yeah the short travel and stuff like that um yeah i used to ride an osa i i still do every now and again mm-hmm. um so yeah it's pretty cool um when you you were a factory suzuki rider of course uh but you weren't in 87 uh no why did you choose that 87 r125 like it's one of those things Actually, you know I, I yeah i went to a vintage race in arizona okay and the at it, it was kind of a basket case just sitting there. Yep. I think he was like 800 bucks for it. And I'm like, hmm, maybe, you know, I was always into a Suzuki guy. So yeah. I'm like, that might be kind of a fun project, you know. Um, so I bought it. And then it took a while, um, you know, because I got bits and pieces here and there. And I'm, you know, I'm not a, my, much of a bike builder myself. So, so my friend Gary Faxon mm-hmm. uh, all together for me and. Yeah, took a while, but it, it's it's been fun. It, it rips. It's pretty pretty good. I mean, it, that was the same year as the Honda eighty seven, which was like a phenomenal bike. So it was yeah, hard to beat. <laughs> it was yeah, it's, it's amazing. I've built up an eighty eight YZ two fifty, a ninety KX two fifty, an eighty nine CR one twenty five that I have in my studio here, and uh, yeah, it's it's fun to to do it. It's not always fun to source the parts, although your buddy Faxon was the one doing that. Um, but the, you know, it's not. It wasn't a great bike in '87 motor wise, but it wasn't like it was that far off. 
And it's not that far off from a 2005 YZ125 either. But, however, the suspension and the brakes, huh, Burnworth? That's where that's where things uh, have gotten a little better. The suspension are pretty good on these things. Yeah, are they? Uh, okay. The, the brakes, you know, uh, not so much, you know. <laughs> the, the front's a, a, a disc, so it's, it's decent. Yeah. Um, but the back, you know, not... There's <laughs> not much there. And if you get it working pretty good, I think it works decent. But compared to like a modern bike, mm-hmm. it's like no, nowhere close. <laughs> no, I know, right? They're, they, they, But if you got the suspension okay, that's fine too. Because, yeah, generally speaking, from guys who ride them, they're just like, man, this thing is so soft. It is so soft. <laughs> so. No, I got this dial. Race Tech dialed it in for me. And yep. I haven't touched it ever since I built it. You know, they set mm-hmm. it up. And it worked decent i got it working good and i i just leave it i don't like messing with it right um, it works so, good so you put this race on and you've done it for a number of years um what do you make money off of it is it a break-even thing do the tracks give you a bit of a break like what what what's your oh, incentive to do this kind know, of thing uh yeah i make a little money not you know yeah. not getting rich or anything but um originally when i started it's been that was this has been the 11th year so it's uh it's been a while my idea was to bring all the vintage clubs because there's a few. There's you know a couple in California, Arizona, whatever. Yep. Just bring them all together. Uh, forget what club you're racing. There's no membership or anything. Mm-hmm. Uh, bring all the people together. Just like a fun day of vintage racing. Um, you know, spectators. You know, have have a good party afterwards. Just have a good time. Yeah. You know, that that was my main goal with this whole thing. So. Well, cool. I'm glad you can at least take some money home for the effort. You know, I mean, like you said, not getting rich, but at least it's not costing you money for the time and the effort you put in. You know? Yeah. So it's a lot of work. I'll no, tell you. absolutely. <laughs> um, Scott Burnworth here on the Fly Racing Racer X podcast, presented by Maxis and Renthal, of course. Uh, Maxis.com, Renthal.com for more information on that. And speaking of race tech, they did the suspension on Burner's RM125. They did the suspension on my 89 CR125. They are currently doing the suspension for my 9500 as well. That is uh, slowly coming together in my garage. So please check out Racetech.com. Pulp 20 is the code to save. Whether it's vintage stuff or modern stuff, Racetech can dial you in and uh, get you working well. Change the oil, revalve it, whatever it is, motor work as well. So thanks to the folks at, at Racetech for, for making it happen. Who was the most uh, unexpected guy you saw there, Scott, at the race? Like Who, who showed up and blew your mind back a little bit? Um, well, it, it's hard to say. I mean, jeez. Uh, um I, w- I wouldn't say Brock because I knew he was coming, but yeah, yeah, you know, um, he's definitely still, you know, race ready. I yeah, mean, he, he he rides really good. He'll claim that he hasn't ridden a year or stuff like that, but he gets <laughs> on the track and he he still rips. Yeah, you know, I I can't believe he rides that Elsinore because they're not the most forgiving bikes, um, but he still he goes really good on that. Yeah, he, he, you know, he rode that Fight Club thing, right? Do you remember that in the fall yeah. or whatever yeah. it was? What's that? Um, <clears throat> no, did you remember that? Yeah, yeah I yeah. watched it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, I told him he rode the 490 better than he rode the modern bike. <laughs> he was, yeah. he was yeah. ripping on the 490. Like, uh, you know, he's just like, oh, I don't know. I'm like, dude, you, you need to get on 490, as always. <laughs> I had to I had to mention one thing. Uh, one of the most special things was having Marty's son Tyler there. Oh, racing. awesome! Yeah, it was just really awesome, and his whole family, 
Jillian, Jillian and Brooke. And um, yeah, those were his kids and they came out and it was, it was super cool. Oh, that's and awesome. That's good to hear. Yeah. Actually the second moto, he rode the Elsinore uh-huh. uh, 125 class in the first Marty, uh, Marty Smith moto. And then the second moto, uh, he had broke the 125 in the first moto. So he jumped on my friend's 500 CR, which I didn't know. So I was in the same class and I'm like, I went up the line and there's this guy like kind of right on the side of me, like kind of edging up on me like, wait, who is this? Yeah. yeah. (laughs) In front of me and I looked on the back and I'm like, Oh, that's, that's Tyler. He still goes damn well too. Nice. Yeah. It's funny to, to build these bikes. and, And as you've found out and as you hear, like, dude, I really feel like they're making a comeback. You know, Mitch told me that his pipe sales for the older stuff, is doing really well. Um, yeah, I think they are making a comeback a little bit. The vintage stuff and guys are enjoying getting out the two strokes again and dusting them off. You know. Yeah, it's you know because it's not all about the racing. You go there to race, but mm-hmm. you know there's so many cool bikes and everyone comes out to you know check out the races and you know we always have a good time, good you know nice little party afterwards. Uh, just it's just a great group of people. And, yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, just, too far from El Cajon for the dogger to make it. Just too far. Yeah, I think he was <laughs> maybe golfing or something. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think I think when he rode the KX five hundred over in England, I don't know if that went really well for him. It probably scarred him for life on on the older bikes. Yeah, right. <laughs> you know, because uh, yeah. you you can't you got to massage him a little bit. You can't just you know thrash these things. They're just they're not able to no. do that anymore. You know. Oh, you can't. You gotta. I. I tell everyone you got to have two two vintage bikes, one for spares and one to race. <laughs> yeah, yeah, hundred percent. Uh, Scott Burnworth on the show here. You also do. I don't know if you still do it. Forgive me for not knowing, but you do like a little Carlsbad reunion every year. Is that still going on? You still get everybody yeah. together and yeah. drink some beers. Uh, uh, we do that every year after the San Diego Supercross, which obviously we won't be doing this year. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. We we might do it if we're if it's possible. But I I don't even know. Yeah. You know, if we can do it you know, in a closed brewery. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, that's been a real fun thing. I mean, we have people coming from all over now and look, looking forward to it. Um, it's kind of the same thing without, without dirt bikes, you know, we do have a, some, a bike show mm-hmm. that we have a lot of sweet bikes, you know? And, uh, so, you know, talks, oh. talk, chop and a lot of the guys like to come cause you don't have to race and get hurt. Yeah. And, yeah. Really. You know? Um, now some of the track is still there, right? From what I from what I hear, some of the crossbow uh, track is still not, around. Not much, no. not much. It's really hard to find anything that's there, right? Um, but um, this new place that I'm looking at, it, it's called Epic Brewery. Uh-huh. Um, it it's actually overlooks the, you know, where the track was. Oh, okay. So yeah, yeah. If, if things go well and we can do it we we might do it there so i don't know i'm not sure yet it's not looking great right now yeah but. yeah <laughs> oh no it's it's a neat little thing I, i've told the story before but 2001 i'm working at ktm uh mowing with mowing and um we went testing there at, at carlsbad and I, it was near the end of the whole thing right it wasn't it was beat down it wasn't what it used to be but i grew up watching the usgp every year because that was the only race that was on on well that on the montreal supercross up in canada that was literally the only two races a year we got to watch and Carlsbad was just, you know, it's just an epic, it's just an infamous facility and just whatever. So 
we test at Carlsbad. Moen's there, and and I'm like, you know what? I I don't I I gotta say that I rode Carlsbad. I just have to say this. So at the end of the day, I threw on boots and a helmet, gloves, goggles, shorts, and, and a t-shirt, and I did like three laps around Carlsbad on 125. And obviously they were slow laps, but I just wanted to say, Burnworth, that I rode Carlsbad. You know what I mean? And, and, yeah. and I was asking Mo, and I'm like, hey, where'd Belair break his leg? And what's the devil's drop? And you know what I mean? Like, I, he's just like, you know, Mo, and he's all grouchy. He's probably doesn't want to tell me. But uh, I just thought it was so cool. And I can say I did some laps at Carlsbad. <laughs> yeah. It, you know, a lot of people hated that place. Right. Uh, you either hated it or loved it. And I loved it because I was a SoCal guy, grew up down here. I loved the heat, the hard pack. You know, I hated sand. Um, I was actually, that was probably one of my, one of my best races ever was the support class at the USGP mm-hmm. 1982. I, I think I got the whole shot, you know, Brock and, and I think Rick and, Bailey and stuff were in the same, you know, it was kind of like a national. Um, mm-hmm. And and actually in practice, someone came up and say, you you had the fastest lap time of anybody in the GP or anything. Oh, really? I, yeah. I lived, at, at that time, I lived, I moved up from uh, El Cajon up to Encinitas, which was yep. kind of down the street. And I had practiced a lot around there, you know, and I, I have a lot of time on Carlsbad, so... That day was like magic for me. I just like everything dialed. Uh, I won the first moto. Um, unfortunately, in the second moto, I didn't get quite a good start. And they had these big puddles after the some of the jumps. Yeah. And, and someone wheelied in it. And I mean, it literally like just drenched me. <laughs> and the old JT gloves were like goats in. And it was like, you know putting grease on your on your hands and i was like i was just done after i think i got maybe fourth in the second boat or yeah. something like that but the first boat was magic so. was that 250s or 125s 250. 250s okay yeah because they're around different different classes right so yeah. um oh that's interesting hey also before we let you go here on the pod um I did a story on on all the riders who have won one career moto in their in their careers and you were on the list uh, as far as that goes, um, we talked about it for the story. It's in there. Kenny Keelon passed you late in the race, and then his bike broke with like two turns or three turns to go, and you took the win. And then yeah. the next moto, you hit a fence and broke your hand or ripped your finger apart. Um, yeah, so it, interesting story. Like everybody, and I talked to a lot of guys. It was a it was a neat little story to do, and your yours was pretty unique in that, like you felt like you could have easily won it and then it had it ripped away from you and then it's almost like the motocross gods gave it back to you <laughs> yeah exactly i remember that day i was i don't know what it was i you yeah. know yeah probably good that that whole year i did pretty good i think i got i think i got five seconds in a row yeah which really sucked but uh uh i was so close you know i don't know i don't know what it was but yeah um, yeah but, I got but, lucky that but then like you told me for the story you were probably more proud of that second place in 85 85, I think, or 84, one of those years. You know? Uh, yeah. Second place no, in, in the standings. 83. Yeah, 83 it was the, yeah. the same. Yeah. Yeah, you were just like, oh, man, that, that, you know, you rode really well. You just couldn't get it done all year long. But, but, but. Yeah, you know. it's, 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 it's not too bad to, to finish second behind David Bailey because, I mean, the guy was just phenomenal. Yeah. No, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, it's, it's an interesting story. People can read it in the new, newest Racer X for sure. 
Uh, well, hey, Scott, thanks, man. Thanks for your time. Uh, congrats on the event. Thank you for doing something for Marty. Uh, I didn't know him very well like you you did and others did, but every time I did hang out with him or lived with him, the guy was the, the raddest dude ever. And and, and I, it, the fact that he did the GPs and the Nationals in the same year is still phenomenal to think about. It's amazing. Um, so yeah. thanks, for, thanks for doing that. Uh, and uh, and con- congrats no on the event. Thanks for the time. Yeah. Thanks for having me on, Steve. All right. Thanks, Scott. Thanks a lot, man. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Fly Racing Racer X podcast uh, with Scott Burnworth. Next up is Brock Glover talking about Marty Smith and uh, the event that he went to, as well as some other bench racing items that uh, that I had up. But thank you to Fly Racing. Please check them out. 2021 gear is out now. Formula CC helmet is something that's got the same features as the Formula helmet, same safety features and all of that, just a little different shell and a little different price. So the Formula CC helmet from those guys is doing a great job. Thanks to Racetech as well. Pulp 20 is the code to save with Racetech.com. Maxxis Tires, Rental, all on board with us as well. And great, great companies, great products. So please check those guys out. And now, here is the golden boy, Brock Lover. Up next on the Fly Racing Racer X podcast, presented by the folks at Maxxis and Rental, a legend of the sport, a multi-time outdoor national champion, and some say the 85 Supercross champion now working for Dunlop. Brock Lover, what's up, Brock? How are you, man? Good, man. It's happening there. Thanks for coming. Thanks for coming on. I appreciate it. This past weekend, you were at the at the event that I talked to Scott about the vintage race at Glen Helen uh, that honored a lot to do with Marty Smith and Nancy, of course, who passed away earlier. I guess first, I, I knew Marty a little bit. I, I get into detail with it with with Burnworth. Um, I knew Marty a little bit from doing schools in Canada, and I lived with him for a couple of months in the early nineties. Um, you know, t- taking lessons and all that. But really, truly, a, a great guy, a very nice guy, and somebody you knew. I'm guessing very well and was a hero to you. Yeah. I mean, Marty was just, uh, you know, when I first met Marty, obviously he was the up and coming, just signed with team Honda, ride the Elsinore. I was a local kid riding uh, the CMC, CMC circuit and just realized, you know, a little bit of the the San Diego boys all kind of stick together. And, Mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, I, I don't know if Marty saw, maybe I had some talent or whatever it was, but, uh, he invited me to go riding with him sometime and anytime he gave me his phone number and said, Hey, if you ever want to go practice, let me know. And of course that's like, are you kidding me? That's such an honor. (laughs) So, so I convinced my dad to take me a couple of times and go riding and, and drop me off. And, and, uh, you know, one of the times I know we went riding, you know, Tommy Croft joined us and that was kind of the beginning of it. And then once I turned 15 and a half or so, I Mm -hmm. bought myself a car and, of course, I was only supposed to drive it when I had my permit, and then uh, you know I got out of school earlier in my senior years and things, and so I was able to you know get my car loaded up. And um, when my mom was away at school or or at work, I mean, sorry, and I got done with school, I would sneak off and uh, probably do what I shouldn't be doing and what I would be very angry at my own kids are doing but i would drive with uh drive with just a learner's permit my bike in the back and get to go riding again with marty so yeah uh, you know he took he took me under my wing or under his wing i'm sorry and uh you know he just was always so kind and gracious to me and even when i i remember my very first cmc pro race that i signed up in the pro class marty and tommy were both there again yeah and uh you know i unfortunately got the whole shot i think i held my breath about three or four laps until they both blew by me eventually <laughs> and, and, and tommy still teases me to this day he says man we were just being nice to you you know we could have passed you anytime we wanted to yeah, kind yeah. of a thing and i and i thought i was riding uh 
riding over my head and holding my breath and they were uh in, in, so we became friends off the course or on off the, off the uh, track and uh, off the you know going out to the places uh glamis and sand dunes and yeah. camping for weeks on you know weeks together and uh, it just was a terrible tragedy that uh he, he had he and Nancy passed in, in of all places at Glamis where he'd spent 35, 40 years oh, of his life. I was telling himself. I was telling Burnworth when I lived with him, he was into the sand rails. He had one and absolutely loved it. You know what I mean? Just uh, was talking about it, building one, talking about getting his next one, all of that stuff, you know? So, um, and it's been said over and over, but he was fucking cool, wasn't he? He was cool. Yeah. You know, Mar- I mean, Marty truly was. I mean, he was the guy. He was our, he just... You know, was, they always make the comments about women wanted to be with him and guys yeah. wanted to be him or whatever, you know, sayings and all. And it's just like he just he was he was America's first real superstar and icon of our sport. And I don't know where the, the sport would be where it is today without somebody like Marty Smith. And it just came at the perfect time. You know, Honda, mm-hmm. a company that really not built two stroke motorcycles, really hadn't entered the motocross fray. And, and yet here they come out with this, you know, world beater Honda Elsinore. I mean, there were times, I mean, every bike on the starting line in a 125 pro race was a Honda motor, you know, Honda, yeah. it just, it just, that's just how it was. I mean, they were so dominant at the time and Marty was the, was their leader of that team and, and the most iconic member of that team. And, and uh, it just it just came at a perfect time wearing the red, white, and blue jerseys that we all saw. And it's man, it just it just was a, it was a great time in the sport to be. And, and Marty was the he was at the top of the uh, of the heap there of, of when it came to the riders' recognition. When we see this, uh, whether it's Stanton and RJ or whether it's Yogi and Ricky or, or whatever, Chad and Red Dog. I mean, it's happened a hundred times over the years. Your first year, you got fifth in the nationals, and that was the year that Hannah dethroned him in one twenty five nationals. Did it start getting weird between you two guys, or was he always cool? Because now you're you're pretty damn good, and you're on your way. You know, uh, how did it get then when you guys were where he was like, "Oh, this kid is actually my main comp or one of my main competitors here." You know, it's funny that you say that, but um, you know that '76 season was an awkward year for Marty, and only in the fact that I think Honda, on paper, uh, they thought he could tackle this feat and what it was was trying to win the world championship and yeah. win the american championship unfortunately in the world championships you know marty could ride whatever bike honda could put out there and it was no concern so he was riding really exotic work spikes and the honda had come out with a new type 2 bike they called it uh, and uh, it was a very very competitive bike on the world circuit mm-hmm. And then in the nationals, we had that whole claiming rule thing come up, you know, yep. and, and a bike a bike got tried to get claimed once and tried to get claimed again, and then all of a sudden a bike got claimed. And once that happened, everyone <laughs> went in, everyone went into a panic mode. Yeah. And it wasn't it wasn't just the Honda guys pulling the trick exotic motorcycles. I mean, if you look back at it, you'll you'll see that at one race at the uh, Kaiser's Ridge in Maryland, it happened ironically enough on the. Uh, the bicentennial of July 4th, 1976. And, uh, that race Yamaha pulled Bob Hanna's, uh, factory, uh, engined water cooled one twenty fives. And they, they pulled that bike out of Bob's bike. Also, they pulled the water cooling off of it and made him stick an air cooled motor in, in the oh. chassis of the old water cool. Yeah, yeah. They were afraid that they didn't want that water cooled bike being claimed. And you know, that, 
that was a telling sign because Bob struggled that day. I mean, he had a hard time. I think he was fourth or so, in, third or fourth or fifth or something. He definitely didn't win. Mm-hmm. I remember it, that was the case. I think Steve Wise and Danny Laporte and some other guys were running up front and Marty too. But it was a, a kind of a telling sign at that time that Yamaha was pretty darn good. Mm-hmm. And, and, and you know, maybe on the first lap or two, I don't know if it was as good as some of the other bikes. But, boy, after 20, 30 minutes, the water cooling really kicked in. And that was a big advantage to have that. So during that time, here's Marty trying to race in Europe. Insane. Flying back Just and an, forth. Insane. insane. Yeah. He would, yeah, he would go from, you know, one week in racing in Europe, the next week in America, back to Europe, back to America. And he just flew back and forth, back and forth. And, and travel was harder back then. People don't realize, you know, they were all the paper tickets and it wasn't like you just, oh, I got a TSA pre-check always through customs. Right, right. It, it was, it really wasn't like that. It was a lot harder to travel in the time zone. And Marty's a, Marty was a SoCal kid, you know, I mean, he was used to, you know, doing his own thing in a SoCal pace and in the style and mm-hmm. traveling in the crummy weather and language barriers and every currency you know every <laughs> barrier you know just the differences it, europe was a it was harder to travel back then yes. than it is now and so it just wore on marty and then you know to have the you know he wrote i think he rode at least three different motorcycles during the 125 nationals in 1976 and and it just it was hard for him to bounce back and forth so you know but you know, no no but Bob was good. But you didn't answer the question that I had was between you two guys. Oh, between, yeah. How, yeah, like exactly. did it like you know, again, you're you're on the rise here, you know what I mean? He's a multi-time yeah. champion. How did he treat you? How was it? Yeah, and so that was kind of getting I was starting to get that point, but the point uh, Marty never not one time ever did he act like, dude, I'm not giving you let you ride oh, with cool. me. I'm not going to yeah, give yeah. you any secrets. Yep. Not one time did he ever act like that. And the and the interesting part honestly, I mean there's some riders and I think I was a little bit like Marty in that aspect. When we were done racing for the weekend, even though we'd go practice during the week together, mm-hmm. we didn't, like, when we got off the bike, it wasn't like, oh, let's talk about moto a bunch. I mean, yeah. when we were, to, he and I were together, we honestly talked about, we talked about a lot of other things, and moto wasn't very often conversation, you know, a topic mm-hmm. of our conversation. So it never really seemed to bother him. And I do remember one time at Midland, Michigan, and uh, in a race, and we were all kind of struggling. It was hot and rough, and and uh, Marty had run real hard in the first moto. In the second moto, he had come up behind me, and I was kind of hanging on for a pretty top, you know, decent yep. position there, yep. third or fourth place or something. And I was probably 25, 30 minutes into the moto, and I, Marty kind of had worked his way up and got somewhat close to me, you know, and, and I actually let him by. And I remember after the race, my dad was like, he was mad at me. You know, but he, he didn't like, he wasn't screaming at me like a mini bike. He yeah. says, why didn't you let Marty by? Yeah. And I said, oh, well, I didn't want to hold him up, man. He's got a championship to try to win. And, you know, I mean, the guy's a friend of mine, you know, I didn't want to hold him up. And, all, and he's like, he did, he had no interest in going past you. The fact that you let him by was yeah. just a gift you know at least make him earn it a little right bit, you right know? <laughs> and i remember thinking that at the time because in my mind i wasn't even at his level right yeah says, you're like this is marty dad, smith this is this yeah, is, yeah i know exactly and my dad's like man you guys are it's hot out there everybody's hating life and just 
do your best and give it, you know, make it everybody, yeah. you don't have to cut him off, but just make everybody earn it, you know? And, and it wasn't much after that. I think the week or two after that, I ended up uh, winning, winning the first moto at the Rio Bravo national. And, mm-hmm. and I do, I do believe I had the speed to win at the second moto. I had a, a ring break on my bike in the moto and it yeah. thing lost them. They didn't have a lot of power anyhow, but it lost <laughs> the rest of its power. And, uh, and I just kind of struggled at home for a third, yeah. but I did get second overall. And at that point right there, I was like, okay, look, these are really tough conditions. I can handle, you know, I can stay with these guys in the right conditions and stuff. And I guess at that point, I guess just stop selling myself short and yeah, uh, yeah. go racing, but never did Marty, Marty, never, ever, ever like had that attitude like dude uh, you know you're you're too much yeah. of my competition and I'm oh that's cool you. yeah he was the yeah. coolest guy when he came up to canada to do some schools and then like i said he opened his house for me to stay there he took me to palm avenue and uh we went he got me a bike to ride and, and like it was uh it was pretty wow. cool for me to be like oh i can't believe i'm here with marty smith and you know he would teach me about he's very big on being aggressive like that was his big thing for teaching students you know like be aggressive be aggressive get in there you know what i mean so, all mm-hmm. of that and uh he was just cool yeah and can you imagine Brock doing the GPs and the Nationals in one year. Like, good God, right? Like, just nutty. Uh, Exactly. And it was, like I said, it was just, it was even harder back then. It wasn't like, you know, it is now where it's just everything's so organized. It's Travel was just much more difficult back in that era. And so, yeah, I I know it it wore Marty out. That loss, there's two things in Marty's career that really, that championship, it, it, it hurt. I know that hurt. And mm-hmm. it's, hey, I, I had the same thing happen to me. You know, I had a good, a good, comfortable lead in the 1980 championship. Had a couple of bike, you know, break. I had a, uh, you know, a shock break and a few things happened. And all of a sudden, next thing you know, my leads evaporated. And losing the championship in 1980, yeah, that was really hard. You mm-hmm. know, I won three, three in a row. Going for my fourth looked like I had it. And it just, it, it's painful. Trust me, when you don't, if you haven't lost and you never experienced that, it, it's yeah. painful. And I know that in Marty... In that 76 championship, losing that thing was painful for him. And then the other big thing in his career that I know that was really hard when he dislocated his hip, I think it was at the Houston Astrodome. Yeah, Those first two turn, that were, first turn, it was a first turn crash. It was yeah, amazing. and it was just a hurt, you know, that was his worst injury. He didn't have a whole lot of injuries right. in his career. And that, those two things I know were, uh, they definitely molded his career. I'm not saying in a positive way yeah. or a negative, but they were just yep. a big part of, uh, you know, and, and he really, he, he, he kind of retired, he retired pretty young, really. Yeah. At the end of the 81 there. So. When you when you hung up, obviously you went on to a great career. Uh, he's retired, you know, after 81, his last year at Suzuki. Uh, you go on to have this great career. Then you, you work with PJ1 a little bit. You do some No Fear stuff you, at Dunlop. How much did you see him? How much did you talk to him? You know, Marty and I, we we often i have a ton of threads on my text messages that i just don't i don't uh i i don't delete because they're just they're close to me and they yeah. mean something to me but he he was always uh we always text each other back and forth even though we didn't see each other as yeah. much yeah. you know if, you know physically but it was great when he got back into it for a while there with the selecting that team in, in the west coast yep. supercross because he would show up and do the races and he uh hanging out with another good friend of ours bill urban who was also a hot shot san diego racer back then and uh it was fun to always do it but marty and i always had this thing i don't know what it was and i'm sure every other rider has this thing mm-hmm. but to marty and i it was kind of our little click thing but we would always see the time of the day on the clock and our especially on our phones when he would see 522 or i would see 522 <laughs> yeah and or or my first national number was 848 yeah so it's kind of been a joke a little bit, 848 or 522. And I have probably at least 10 
times that I did a screenshot yeah, on my yeah, phone yeah. at 522 <laughs> and I just sent, I, I just send it yeah, to him. Yeah. I wouldn't say anything. I wouldn't right. do anything. I'd just go 522 and boom. And he would, and, and he would always send me back like thumbs up or like, you know, right. you know like a fist pump or whatever. And it just was one of those things that we sure. kind of had. And we, I mean, honest to God, I, I probably sent the, there's probably three or four or five of them just in my last year's worth of text messages with him. It was something we did a lot. So yeah. yeah, so we always had that bond and we've always had that almost brotherly bond. And it was kind of, he was always kind of a big brother and, yeah. um, you know, and, and, and there was, I saw him at, he went to the, one of the vintage races up at Boise and he mm -hmm. was their guest of honor that day. And one of my, favorite shots I have of him is kind of he's whispering something in my helmet right before the start and <laughs> to be honest with he he was saying I can't like I freaking can't believe you're still doing this crap. <laughs> and that's what he was saying and we were laughing yeah, yeah. about it and I was saying yeah me neither I can't believe I'm still racing these things but uh, that yeah. was kind of what he was saying well, it's good to know because I do that with Villaman for 934 and the seven deuce mm -hmm. deuce I do the same thing so it's good to know that's I'm not funny. I'm not the only one who does it so um, so the, the race that, that Scott put on uh, at Glen Helen, you got behind a, a set of bars again. Uh, what'd you ride? What was it? Tell me it's a YZ490. Tell me it was a YZ490. No, you know what? There is a YZ490 slash whatever. The, the, the thing is, it, it's called, the race is called the, uh, the uh, SoCal Vintage MX Classic. And it's, uh, uh, it's uh, or Classic MX or mm -hmm. MX Classic. And it's the, I think it's Scott's 11th year. Yeah, he said that, yeah. And he does such a fantastic job. And then this one was one that we were able to have a Marty Smith Memorial Cup race. Mm -hmm. And we got to, uh, originally it started out, everybody was going to have to ride like 75 or older, Elsinore 125. So just be yeah. a bunch of Elsinores out there. Well, they, Scott started asking around and it really wasn't a whole lot. <laughs> there really wasn't a gate full of 125 Elsinores around, you yeah. know? So, so that's what I wrote. It was, it's a 1974 painted like a 75 because that's when I really first started racing honda elsinore yeah it's really you know i started on 74 but i had my 75 was kind of the bike that i had the red stripe tank so mm -hmm. and it has my uh has my j18 number which is uh j18 was my first cmc number and, oh shit really oh to, wow yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. That, so that's the that's what's on the bike and so it's a bike that dallas nyblood and i kind of a couple, two or three years, four years ago, I guess, when they were racing this race called the Pomeroy Cup up in Boise with mm -hmm. Scott Wallenberg and that group. And, um, you know, it was a bike we started deciding, let's build our own bike, you know, and just instead of having to always borrow somebody's <laughs> stuff. So that's what it is. It's a, it's a Elsinore. It runs real well. And uh, that's what we started at. But then Scott, the Memorial Cup ended up, the Marty Smith Memorial Cup mm -hmm. ended up uh, kind of morphing into letting anything from 250s and older, <laughs> the short travel stuff, 250s yeah. and 125s. They scored them separately, but they yeah. were on one gate. And then I think the class that Scott rode, they were the first gate. They were long travel bikes. I think they were up until 79 or 80 models. Yeah. Yep. And there was a lot of change from 74, 75 oh, to yeah. 1980. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Four inches of travel to, you know, 10 or 11 inches of travel in that era. So, um, so a little bit of everything, but man, there was a lot of good guys there. I mean, Grant Langston rode. Yeah. And, Nickel and, Kurt, and yeah. Kurt Nickel and Todd DeHoop flew out and he looked like he'd never stop racing ever. And, <laughs> and of course, Burnworth is quite quick. And, and yeah. it's, uh, we just had a really good group of guys out there. And it was like Lapeglias were out there with their whole fleet of motorcycles and they still get after it. Oh, that's and, awesome. Uh, yeah. Just, yeah. It was super fun. So when you, you still get along a track pretty good we saw you at the fight club and, and all of that and when you get behind something like that an elsinore when you get on that and you're riding and glenn helen's rough and are you 
Are you riding to be careful because it's easy to bottom out and break the bike or break your ankle or break something? Uh, the brakes themselves, speaking of brakes, the brakes themselves aren't good on those things. What's it like when you get behind the handlebars of one of those things? Are you pretty cautious or, or do you send it? Well, you, you do. I mean, I rode six motos. I rode three classes. Mm -hmm. I rode the age group, the vintage class and the 250-500. So I rode a strap tank YZ, a short travel bike. But yeah. they had everything from vintage bikes that were four inches of rear travel and seven front all the way up to, you know, even modern classes. So they had kind of the what they call the evolution and the yeah. revolutions. And they had that, you know, post-revolution. I don't know. They got all these yeah, names yeah, for these yeah. things. But they worked their way all the way up. I think some of the stuff I saw Kurt Nickel was on was maybe like late 90s and even maybe 2000, early 2000s, okay. a couple yep. of different bikes. And uh, so they, they, they get, you know, most all two strokes, but they did have a few moderns. So what the only thing I would have, you know, in, in I know Scott was trying to put the Marty Smith Cup kind of in the middle of the thing. So it was like race 10 of the 17 races. But the only thing negative of that is, is that you end up out there like, you know, practice is one thing you come yeah. around in the race. You're like, oh, crap. You know, these are pretty big bumps for four inches. Of <laughs> yes, travel. So, yes. So to answer your question is, yeah, the very first lap that I wasn't as cautious as I would have. I, I was on the YZ250 strap tanker vintage yep. bike and I came over the top of a tabletop and landed right into a big old uh, pothole and the front forks went metal to metal. Oh, and I'm like, geez. OK, yeah, that's yeah. Guy. <laughs> pay attention here. Pick some lines. And, and uh, you do have to balance how yeah. hard you can charge and then and how rough the track is and by the end of the day my last moto was the 27th or 28th moto of the day on the in the marty smith cup race the second moto and trust me it was uh, oh, my, I, I can't I, imagine my yeah teeth were, teeth were rattling feelings uh, are rattling out ahead my eyeballs are rattling yeah it was uh, you, it was a challenge you're like how in the hell did i win races on this thing or you know or whatever something similar to that anyways how the hell did i win yeah. races on this thing so, I, I, yeah luckily uh, for me honestly steve when i started racing and that was right at that era, you know, my very first 75 Elsinore, yep. we had moved up the shocks and extended the forks a little bit. So we had right. an extra two or three inches, four inches of travel in front and rear. And then, uh, and then just a year later in 76, heck, we were probably running, you know, eight yeah. or nine inches of travel in the rear, you know, so it, was, it wasn't so, yeah, these things, they'll rattle your no rattle your eyeballs out. It's, it's like what you said earlier, the difference between like an 82 RM250 and a 74 bike in less oh, than yeah. 10 years is, is amazing. You know what I mean? It's just yeah. Yeah, phenomenal. Um, and, go ahead. No, I was going to oh. say, that's what's, I, I, yeah. that's what's so cool about kind of the era that I grew up in. My personal opinion is that every single time we showed it up a racetrack, somebody had come up with some new way to make more travel and more of this and different style, a different way to produce suspension. And, and, you know, it was fantastic. Like you said, in my, in my era from starting the very first time at four inches of travel yeah. to the end of my career, you know, when we were running upside down forks with, you know, 11, 12, I mean, I remember at one point it got almost up to 13 inches of travel, yeah. which was ridic ridiculous. We had to settle it back down from that, you know, and, sure. and uh, but you know, they've been at the 300, 310 millimeter level for forever they've yep. gotten a lot better and much more controlled dampening and con yep. ways to control it and all that but the, the, the amount of travel hasn't really changed from what you mentioned in the in the early 80s i was bugging burnworth i'm like look scott it's great your bike looks awesome it's like really good job on that 87 rm125 i'm like you realize you picked the slowest bike in 1987 to to race out there, right? Like, like there was nothing worse than an RM125 in the mid 80s. And he was laughing about it. it. He's like, "Yeah, yeah." Is that is that really? I don't even. Yeah, I, I was out. Of, well, for me, I was out of the 125. I just know, I do know, in the late 70s and the early 80s, the RMs were yeah. fantastic. Yeah, they bombers. Were fantastic. 
Pat Alexander told me Bomber's bike was 17 pounds lighter than some of the other bikes out there. Like, it was insane. Yeah. It, they put, he said he put the weight limit in for, you know, they put the weight limit in because of that RM. It was that much lighter, yeah. you know? Bom- so. Yeah, Bomber always he teased me because I think our Yamaha was well over 200 pounds, <laughs> and I think the weight limit was <laughs> crazy as this sounds. The weight limit was like 176, and the Suzuki's had skid plates on them yeah. to make the weight limit. Yeah. yeah. Think um, about that. Yeah. No, for sure. When you're uh, when you're you know a six-time national champion like yourself and one of the legends of the sport, what do what do people want to talk to you about? What do fans just even if the Supercrosses or Motocross are at this at Burnworth's vintage thing, like what do you what do you get a lot of? Like you know, like you know, uh, you talk to different people. You know, Fro. I just did a podcast with Fro and. He's like, oh god, the Havasu arrest thing comes up, right? Uh, and that's not a great idea, but that's you know you, you don't have anything like that. But there's always a thing or two that that you guys, you know, you have to tell the same story over and over, or you got to you know you get the same sort of thing that you're known for. Uh, what is it with you? What what comes up? Because I can think of a few different things, uh, but what do you hear the most of? Well, you know that that's. That's a good question. I mean, you talk about positive things and negative. Either one. Yeah, yeah. Of course, the positive thing is, you know, I mean, I'm known, you know, if you Google YZ490, you know, people (laughs) tie me to that thing. Yes. And the fact, and they they do. It's like, how the hell did you, you know, beat those guys on that thing? You know, and it's kind of, that gets brought up quite a bit. And, of course, you know, you're never going to get rid of the let Brock buy thing, no matter if 50 years later people are still. So those are the the pros and the cons. Those are the two things, you know, and it's like, but I don't, you know, usually you'll see something like that, just some, you know, blurb out comment or somebody. And I think sometimes, I think people just do it because they honestly don't know what else to say kind of a deal. Maybe (laughs) that awkward silence moment. So they say something like that. And I can tell you for sure, if you say something like that to me, it's probably the, you know, it's, it's, if there's the definition of starting off on the wrong foot, that would be how it would be. But on the, on the flip (laughs) side, on the flip side, I kind of understand it to a point, but you know, I mean, I, again, I don't feel like I was, I was just, you know, I don't think it did anything wrong per se. I just feel like it was like, man, I, I, I was, I was never supposed to be even in the position to be able to right. take advantage of something like that, let alone, but, but it did, you know, and again, I, I, I bothers me because if you pay attention to history, it's happened way bef- many times before mm-hmm. that. And it happened yeah. many times after that, but whatever. It was know? captured so on film. Well, it was captured on film for you. That's the difference. Exactly. Right? When, when Hannah and pulled I'll, over and, for Bailey and, and Millville and, and, yeah, and you know, nobody, all this yeah. stuff. Right. I mean, there's a, you know, there's tons of it that had happened beforehand. And, and, and honestly, during, we talked about the 76 season with Marty Smith and, and all that stuff. And, and Danny was the first to admit, he goes, oh yeah, Billy Grassi pulled over for me many times because right, I right. was, I was battling of all things. Danny, and if you look back at the point standings in 1976, I believe Danny finished one point behind Marty for second. Yeah. And I know that Danny was like, yeah, I had a second place bonus. That was a lot more than the third place. And yeah, <laughs> Suzuki, Suzuki definitely wanted second place the championship over third place yeah so we did everything we could to try to get you know second yeah to get me get second so that was you know so again so you know it was hey you know just like if somebody went out and was doing testing on a bike and they came up with a really good setting at a factory level and they you know of course they would share it with the other riders on the team i mean there Mm -hmm. is an element of teamwork in all forms of factory motocross and racing yeah so so that's that's what you hear you're just like yeah so yeah yeah, it's that and then also the you know the 490 is on the positive side so you know i don't you know my 
of course everybody could, you know, the career, I, I would, I could have done this. I could have won, you know, I had two or three or four championships. I literally finished in second yeah. and lost by a few points here and there. So looking back at all the championships, would have, could have, should have things. I know I was in contention a lot, but in general, I think people just, you know, I think when I go to a vintage race, yeah. I think they're, they're happy. It, it, it just like I'm happy. And I think Scott, you look at all the people that were there at, were there at that race. I mean, you had Rick Johnson standing around, you yeah. had du, you know, Doug Dubox there. I mean, there's just a lot of, you know, not only the names we mentioned earlier, but yeah. there was a lot of really top caliber racers and stuff that all show up for an old vintage race like that and to honor Marty Smith and, and Nancy and, and, and um, you know, I like, it was Yeah, it it's was awesome. Cool. No, it's really cool. You beating Bailey in 85, we, you and I have discussed this a bunch on the different shows, but that's, that's yeah. a phenomenal feat. And uh, one that should not be forgotten for sure, especially after '84, where he basically spanked you. You know what I mean? And in '85, you returned the favor, so yeah. that that's pretty amazing. Um, uh, and and you know, I was thinking about the uh, the fact that you la- you won your last ever Supercross race. Pretty yeah, pretty freaking cool there too. Like, see you later. I'm out. I yeah. won. <laughs> and, and the other one you gets brought up too is the pink riding gear. Ah, so, yeah, yeah, right, Miller yeah, Masters. So yeah, kind of, yeah, yeah, yeah. People talk about the pink riding gear, and I still see it debated on. The, debated on facebook or something you know like who was the first to wear pink you know there's a lot of the european yeah. guys still think jackie v moan was but uh, i can assure you yeah the first time that pink gear hit the hit the racetrack was at the 84 coliseum in the miller masters race yeah yeah that's true i didn't think about the pink gear yep that was you also for sure yeah, so, yeah. yeah uh so. uh and i'd like to see uh dubach and burnworth just go have a starting competition over and over at the next vintage race just so they can just try try to see who can get the whole shot between Doug Dubach and Scott Burnworth. That'd be great. <laughs> yes, yeah, speaking exactly. Those guys are both great starters. And hey, and, and speaking of that, it was really fun to see Sean Kalos out there. He won the uh, that uh, what they call the works uh, the the 100 cc challenge yeah. the, the Marty, what used to be the Marty Tribes Challenger or whatever it was. Uh, to see him, I mean, gosh, he's a two. I think Sean told me he weighs 205 pounds. I said, man, you got the, I saw you even get the whole shot on a 100 CC yeah. bike at 205 pounds. And he rode really, really well. He looks really fit. So it was fun to see a lot of good riders. Out yeah. There. Sean, I worked for Sean briefly in 96. Uh-huh. He was at the end of his career and uh, uh-huh. riding for that PJ one team. And uh, uh-huh. I worked for him for a few races. He barely said 10 words to me uh, the whole time, but he was a really nice guy. And uh, I always felt like he, didn't really get a great shot, like a lot of guys, you know, uh, had some, the, the year he got fired, he was eighth and seventh in the points or something, and then got let go, you know, um, and uh, a great rider, and, and, you know, I'd done a podcast with him, and he t- talked about his, his his grandpa and his dad, and, and you know, kind of mm-hmm. rough rough upbringing he had a little bit that drove him away from dirt bikes, but, man, was he talented, yeah. was he talented. Yeah, you know? you know what, and he's just a super nice guy, and yep. as you mentioned, he's kind of a shy, you know, kind of mm-hmm. a shy guy, and, and uh and, uh, you know, I think it's hard when you have a couple of real strong personalities like that around you or above you that you really get you out of your shell like mm-hmm. that. And, but Sean is now, I think he's, you know, he just, he's always super nice guy, super talented guy. And, yeah. and I think he's just kind of shy in the beginning. And now he's probably at his age now, he, I'm certainly, he's comfortable and, and, uh, out of his shell and not living yeah. in shadows of his grandfather no. or his dad or whatever. So yeah, yeah it's it, he, yeah, yeah, super guy. Well, absolutely. Well, hey, Brock, thank you for joining us and jumping on. I'm glad that you, you know, you did this race. And I, like I said, I don't know Marty anywhere nearly like you or Scott, but he was a hell of a nice guy. And I'm so stoked. Nancy couldn't have been any nicer too when I lived there. And 
I'm really stoked that that you know you guys all got together and do something for Marty and Nancy and his his kids were there. Scott was telling us, which is awesome. Um, and, and yeah, really cool deal, man. I'm glad it happened, and it was cool to see the jerseys and and everything for Marty. That was awesome. No, it was really, really. It was it was fantastic, and, uh, and as you mentioned there, um, you know, it was one of those events that we're able to give tribute and Tommy Croft, I forgot to mention Tommy too. I mean, Tommy was a lifelong friend of Marty and he was obviously there in full support and all that stuff. And and the fun part was actually Tyler. I mean, Tyler Smith is a lot better rider than most people would ever know. Tyler was (laughs) right at the pro level rider and he just never, Marty just never wanted him to be a pro motocross. He just felt like I talked to him many times about Mm -hmm. it. He's like, just man, dude, it's a hard sport and the chances are really, truly making it and uh, is not that good and i'd rather see tyler do something but it was nice to see tyler out there and, and, and jillian is the you know the oldest of the of the you know yeah the smith kids and she was out there and I, brooke was out there too so it was fun to see all three of them to come out there and just see all the love for their for their parents and uh and to see it at a motocross track it was really fun well awesome man thank you for joining the fly racing racer x podcast presented by maxis and renthal really appreciate it thanks brock Thank you. Thanks, Steve. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to the Fly Racing Steve Mathis Show. Don't forget to check out some of our past shows, including motocross legends such as... The Bad Boy, Rick Johnson. I looked down and my hand was junk. I mean, yeah. it was sitting over to the side. The tendons were jerking in weird places. And my biggest disappointment with Danny Storbeck is that he never said sorry. Danny and I were friends, and we've never talked since. Brian Lunas. Before the 500 event, Dave and I fly to Germany, go down to Stuttgart. There's this little shop out the back of the mall factory... We get our cylinders, take them back, and, you know, off we go. And, you know, we ran Nicosile Cylinders as a factory part for a handful of years before anybody ever saw it in production. Dave Arnold. And, and Magoo was all, you know how he did the big pancake thing? Right, and right. and he's got the thing, he's completely laying on the gas tank trying to miss his tree. I mean, he would have gone even harder, jumped farther if that tree hadn't have been, you know, yeah. if, it, if it hadn't been there. The Hurricane Bob Hanna. I love the guy. I don't dislike. I think yeah. he's the greatest competitor this sport ever had. That absolutely 100% in my mind. I firmly believe that statement I said about these modern day guys in Switzerland or Holland or Belgium on 45 minutes on the same bike. You're not beating Roger. Are you crazy? Right. They're not doing it. If they think they're so much better nowadays than they were in those days, they're fools. They're different bikes, different times. The beast from the east, Damon Bradshaw. It got to the point where I didn't want to leave home. And once I got to the race, I wasn't into it. If I wasn't going to give 100%, I'm not going to take their money. The working class hero, Doug Henry. It was definitely an emotional moment for me, just thinking to myself, that's it, you know, and it's, it's amazing the stuff that goes through your head in a short amount of time of the things that, you know, that I was going to miss. The daughter, Ron Machine. Until you really open your ears and you want to listen to what they're saying, it's like beating a dead horse. I mean, and I know from personal experience, did anybody ever sit me down? Of course they did. Everybody did. Go Circuits, Mitch Payton. There's two ways to make the money. One is you can sign for money, or two, you can earn the money. I'm a high believer in earning the money. I think they ride better when they earn the money. Seven-time Jeremy McGrath. I was so mad, like so disappointed and so frustrated that I pulled pick and I left. Every point counts. I could kick myself to this day for not 
just riding around in tents. It's been no problem. My, my ego got in the way, you know? The O Show, Johnny Omar. Stuff that you could, you'd sit there if you didn't even want to ride it. You just wanted to just look at it all day. I mean, I got a chance to test all that. I like that era I was in. I really do. Search Pulp MX in the iTunes store to enjoy these and over 800 great motocross podcasts. Hey.